Hi. This week's film is... Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. 2019. That is the most recent we've done. Yes, it no is. films have been released in 2020. By far the most recent film we have watched on this podcast. Welcome to season two, everyone. Season two, episode two. Season two is where you, the people, get to suggest some films. Who suggested Jojo Rabbit to us? My sister. Hello, sister. My sister, Sarah. I've got another sister who actually, as a child, was nicknamed Jojo. And I had a rabbit. Wow. So I've got a rabbit, different rabbit. Great. Anyways, let's listen to the little intro from Sarah and her husband, Luke, about why they picked this film. Hello, my name is Sarah Joy and... I am Luke. And the film we would really like to recommend is Jojo Rabbit because it is an amazing film. Luke, would you like to give a little overview of what happens in the film? Synopsis. Synopsis. I'll synopsis away. It is a film about a young boy in the Hitler Youth, obviously, as all good films start out, uh, who is going through the trials of not having a father and dealing with it by having... having? Having an imaginary friend who is Adolf Hitler, uh, but who discovers uh, a Jew hiding in his attic. And just about how he deals with that whole complex situation. Yeah, it's surprisingly is a comedy. And it, there's not many comedies about Hitler. No, um, so I think it, it's, it's kind of unopposed in that area. It's just brilliant. It's so clever. I, it perfectly somehow toes the line between... Absolute laugh out loud comedy and poignant, like really, really gut wrenchingly sad. And it's just an interesting, interesting perspective on the war that you don't <laughs> often get from a child in the Hitler youth who has an imaginary friend who is Hitler. Yeah. It's, yeah, I'm trying to think of what the especially brilliant moments in it is. I don't want to well, give too you know, much we don't away. Want to, we don't want to give anything away, but, no. but it, it does it very well. It's very silly. It is but very yeah, silly. But yeah, yeah it, ha- it, handle- it handles the seriousness of its context very well. Yeah, you go through the whole thing being like, this is so clever, this is genius. How are they managing to like get the tone right every single time? And then you'll be like crying and then you'll be like rolling around laugh- laughing. It's, yeah, it's just great. I want to watch it again now. Should we watch it again? Okay, we'll watch it again later. Okay, great. Okay, great. Cool. Why do you think they'll like it? I would put money on this film being one of the films that you both really enjoy. So I think I have exactly the same film taste as Hannah. Um, Sad children, comedy, chick folks. And so I'm pretty certain... This is two out of three. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that Hannah's going to enjoy it. I Like 99% certain. Not quite got such a grip on what Dan enjoys... Because I don't quite understand it. But this has got definitely some death in it. And I've heard that he likes death. I'm, pretty, I'm not sure there's any snogs. Just based on Hannah and Dan's... Did Dan like Snog to death ratio. No, no, Hannah, Hannah likes the snogs. But anyway, there's enough sad children just, just to, to keep Just, just don't want to assume. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, there's enough like interesting historical context. And I think it's probably Dan's kind of comedy as well. Although I'm not totally sure. I just think they'll both really enjoy it. So... I, I've got a good feeling about this. I don't know whether to actually make bets about whether they'll we both probably enjoy shouldn't. it. No, maybe not. But we both enjoyed it, and I feel like me and you, Sarah and Luke, have similar <laughs> film tastes, just to clarify who me and you are. Similar film tastes to Han and Dan. And if this is like a perfect crossover film for us. So let us know. I'm excited to hear Great. how this podcast goes. Good job. Enjoy. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. How about that? Little shout out to Sarah. She listens to this podcast in the bath. I was excited. I was excited for this. Okay, what excited you? Well, because they thought we'd enjoy it. That's always nice. And did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Wow, she does know you. But the shocking thing is, did you enjoy it? Yes. We found a film we both enjoyed. I think this is the first time, maybe. No, didn't we both enjoy... um, one of my films, near the end, Die Hard. We both oh, enjoyed yeah. Die Hard. Yeah, but you more than me. So, Jojo Rabbit. It's a strange film. 
Yes. I would love to have been there in the bit where he pitches that film to someone. And he's like, so it's like about Nazis, but it's a comedy and it's really sort of fun. But also there's some like sad, harrowing, deathy bits in it. But it's mainly just fun and colourful. Yes. It is very colourful. It is very... um, Well, especially at the start. It gets more grey as the film goes on. But I read a thing that said Taika Waititi, the the director and guy who plays Adolf Hitler in this, he did some research and found that Germany was like the height of culture and textile design at the time. And he was fed up of Germany in World War II being portrayed as this like drab, awful place. So he wanted Mm -hmm. to make it look pretty. It's hard when you can only film in black and white to make something look colourful. But he did a good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the olden days stuff. Uh, I know, yeah. I know. No, I read also he was trying to portray life sort of through a 10-year-old's eyes. The whole film is like through a 10-year-old's eyes. And 10-year-olds are kind of fun. And it was like the summertime. He's He and his friends are amongst some of the least fun 10-year-olds I could think of, to be honest. Given their intense fanaticism. But they're still they're still ten year olds at heart. Well, I think that's part of what the film is about, isn't it? It's about him rediscovering his ten year oldness and and uh breaking free from the shackles of the Fuhrer. Do you mean by him you mean Jojo? Sorry, yes, Jojo. I don't mean Adolf. Yes, the main one of the main characters is ten year old boy. Johannes Betzler, Jojo Betzler. And, um, yeah, we we spend a lot of the film seeing through his eyes and his perspective. I've got a little quote. Yeah. So, the Jewish girl that is hiding... Elsa. ...in his house that he, at the beginning of the film, doesn't know about. Yep says this to him you're not a nazi you're a 10 year old who likes dressing up in funny uniforms and wants to be part of a club i think it's spot on i think there's a lot of people myself included who want to belong to something it's it's quite like brownies well in my little bit of research that i did the hitler youth like took over some of the scouts activities and and then Hitler himself shut down all the um, all the other youth club activities kind of things until it was you were only allowed to be in the Hitler Youth. Yeah, and at the start it was voluntary, but by 1936 you had to be in the Hitler Youth if you were age ten and up, even girls. And if you didn't, you had to s- you got sent to this re-education centre and your parents got fined or put in prison. Yeah, I um, I don't know a lot about the goings on of Nazi Germany. It turns out I had to read up about bits of this. There were people who tried not to be in the Hitler Youth, but then weren't allowed, weren't given their diploma to graduate from school. Yeah, they were threatened. If you aren't in the Hitler Youth, you won't be given the certificate that says you've graduated school. You can't go on to university or whatever. Mm. Like, it sounds horrendous. Just like brownies. <sighs> Possibly even worse than brownies. What? <laughs> um, um, the the, uh, the girl one, the girl version didn't sound so bad, though. This is a list of things they did in the girl version of Hitler Youth. Is this in the real youth? Yes. Okay. Farming, cooking, cleaning, singing, swimming, gymnastics, and running. Some of that sounds all right. I think if you're just doing that, it sounds lovely. But if you're doing that interspersed with like lectures about how great Hitler is and how inferior all the other races are, it gets it gets a bit worrisome. Yeah, but I mean, was it was it a free group? You're just looking for free childcare. 
Yeah, I mean, if I had a boy, I'd I'd stay away. But <laughs> swimming lessons are expensive. Yeah, I think <laughs> um, you're getting the wrong end of the stick here. Okay, what I'm saying is, some quickly people who were in the Hitler Youth do actually look back with some fond memories. Obviously, it's not all good. And from what I briefly read, some people who were in the Hitler Youth were not fanatical Nazis because you you had to be in the Hitler Youth. Well, yeah, everyone was in it, so they. I think kids just go along with whatever they're told. I think especially 10-year-olds mm. are probably not really analysing what's going on and not seeing the bigger picture and they're just like oh this is what we do and i never as a british person think of the war from that perspective at all so that was interesting yeah so at the start of the film he's 10 years old he's going off to his first jojo sorry the the main boy's going off to the fir- his first hitler youth rally and uh, there's a 10 to 14 age bracket and then a 14 to 18 and it sounds like it gets more military in the 14 to 18 and they were trying to they're the bad not the baddies sorry I'm going to just not say I mean that. they weren't the goodies though Hans are we <laughs> are we the baddies um, <coughs> those Hans quoting the Mitchell and Webler oh, yeah. uh, excellent sketch show from uh those gentlemen. Uh, so no, the fourteen and eighteen-year-old boys take all the ten-year-olds off to one side, and then they pick on Jojo and try and get him to um, strangle a rabbit to death. Oh yeah, that is a horrible bit of the film. Especially and as rabbit parents, that's know, a bit yeah off-putting. Yeah, that is a horrible bit where he's made to kill a rabbit, and then then he doesn't, and then someone else does, and you just hear the noise of like. <laughs> On the neck. Yes, and then it gets flung off into the woods. There's well, a that's lot. That's not even the worst thing that happened in World War Two. What? <laughs> it was for that rabbit. You, you have a lot of because shortly after that, um, Jojo, the boy, blows himself up with a hand grenade, uh, and gets. So that's that's the key point of the film. Really, at the start, he gets sent home on medical leave and he can't go to school so he's just always around the house and that's how he finds the girl in the attic but it tries to the film really tries to mix comedy and sadness or pathos or seriousness together with you know he charges through the woods grabs hold of a hand grenade leaps over this sandbagging thing with uh, Taika Waititi's Hitler next to him and they're all kind of joyfully ha 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 he throws this hand grenade and then it bounces off a tree and lands back at his feet and he blows himself up it's kind of a funny moment if it wasn't surrounded with all the Hitler stuff you know what film it sort of made me think of I think this before I actually watched it I thought oh maybe that would be similar Four Lions yeah, I I get that. I'm a big fan of Four Lions. So Four Lions is like a comedy about terrorism from Chris Morris, the creator of Brass Eye. It is very funny. Yeah, so the story I I always remember about Four Lions is Chris Morris heard this news report about some terrorists who planned to fill a barge full of explosives and float it down the Thames and blow up Parliament or something, blow up a warship. But they put so much explosives on the um, on the barge, the barge sank, which yeah. is kind of funny. And Chris Morris, uh, in this in this anecdote, I remember, kind of turned around and went, "We should be laughing at these people." And I think Taika Waititi, in his writing and his directing of this film, is doing the same kind of thing. Like, we should be laughing at these people. What they're saying is nonsense. Is so ridiculous. Yeah. And especially with a lot of the stuff in the middle of the film, where Jojo is trying to explore who Jews are, what Jews are, kind of understand this and unpick the indoctrination that's gone on. He's Taika Waititi, I think, is like he's trying to he's trying to just point out this is the stuff that they taught and it's bonkers. So they did actually really teach um kids that Jewish people had horns on their heads. Yeah, it's it's like we we think it's laughable now, but 
I think if we'd taught our boys something like that from early enough, they would just think, okay. You know, like yeah, kids, kids are so teachable about anything. Like if we told them anyone was a a bad guy, they would just soak it all in. Yeah, a bit. they trust us. We're we're their authority figures. We're their parents. It's a real. I feel like that as a weight of responsibility of like, okay, I need to look after these guys and not teach them something that's incredibly wrong and hurtful. But if somebody didn't have that, as it turns out, yeah. You could get you could brainwash millions of kids, but also I think it's important as a parent to talk about the stuff that's happened in history. So like it's an awkward conversation, but we have explained like the slave trade and like World War Two. I don't think we fully explained Nazis and the Holocaust yet. I think but he is only six, and the other one's only three. Yeah. We're trying well, to I do our best. I think you have best. to say that stuff. I don't think you should try and shelter kids from it well, for too long. Yeah, I think Eric, who is three, can be sheltered from some of it. Yeah. Okay. Like, but I think you're. I broadly agree with your point, which helps because we have to parent together. That like hiding stuff about the past where humanity certain as bits of humanity have got stuff super wrong is not a good idea yeah so i went to a school in december to work as a teaching assistant like agency work uh and my first lesson which was really bizarre they were like oh we're watching a film uh the boy in striped pajamas which is like a harrowing laugh a minute <laughs> film about Outfits, yeah, or some. There were a couple of boys Absolutely that good. were getting upset about it, and so they were told to sit out, and I went to sit out with them. And then they were asking me, "Is it, did this really happen?" And I didn't really know what to say because I was just like a stand-in person on the first day. Yeah. Uh, and I asked the teacher, and, sh- and she just told them, "I know it's it's just a film." But they were sent out because they were like, oh, the the end's not happy. And they didn't think they could cope with it. But they were year sevens. How old is he, year seven? Eleven. Eleven-year-olds. I think we should be telling our eleven and twelve-year-olds what happened. It's got deep. But back to the film. Back to the film. Uh, I've got a note that says, Sam Rockwell is fun. Who's he? He plays Captain Crimson, the sort of sympathetic, one-eyed Nazi. And it's that's where I think the film is interesting. He, there's a suggestion that he's gay um, with the, his assistant kind of character. And he's sort of the idea of the sympathetic Nazi, I think. Well, the Nazis didn't like the gays. That's true. I mean, they didn't like a lot of people, um, but the gays and the Jews were right up there on the list. Um, And so at one point, he... uh, They find Elsa, and she pretends to be um, Jojo's elder sister, who's dead, called Inga. And he checks her papers, and Elsa gets the date wrong, but he says, yes, it's fine, and sort of protects her... But that is a really tense bit where they come to search the house. Oh, yeah. And um, so the Jewish girl runs away to hide and then decides on a, on a very risky strategy to come down and be like, hello, I'm Jojo's older sister. Um, that nobody's seen for like years. really, really tense. Mm, they, do, they do that really well, because especially because... The Gestapo, there's five Gestapo men, and they're led by Stephen Merchant, who's quite famous for working with Ricky Gervais in The Office and things like that. Like, Oh, it's that guy. It's that guy. I thought he looked quite like the Demon Headmaster. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, so he's not really known. He's known as a comic actor, I think. And so it was interesting to have him be the bad guy. And there was... Just a lot. It's interesting to make that tense. It's very well done. 
and Sam Rockwell's kind of happy-go-lucky, maybe gay, one-eyed captain turns up in the nick of time to sort of help them out. But that was one of the... I think that was one of the better moments of the film. Like a, a real well-done point. Bit. Yeah, it was really yeah. well done. Yeah, it was good. Well done, Taika. It was a really good film. Like it, There were bits that were really fun. I think Sarah gave a good description of it, actually. Yeah. That There were bits that were really fun and then bits that were really tragic. I think it's a kind of film as well that people will see because it's not all harrowing, whereas you never think, oh, I'm going to sit down tonight and watch Schindler's List or whatever. Yeah, true. And it's getting young people more sort of interested in the war, maybe who might not know much about it. For example, this is a shocking statistic for you. Yep. What percentage of American millennials do you think have never heard of Auschwitz? What age are millennials? Like our age and a bit younger, so like mid-30s to mid-20s. So haven't heard of Auschwitz. But Americans. Americans are always scary outliers, aren't they? Um, Like 20%? 66%. Shut the front door. (laughs) No. Isn't that... Awful. Okay, here's a here's a reverse statistic for you. I have a friend in Germany called Stefan, and Elfie is his wife, and they have three daughters. Stefan had been to Auschwitz, had been taken to Auschwitz three times by the time he was 15. Yeah. I feel bad for Germans, because we get to learn about the war Winning. in school, and it's it's like, I feel like it's one of the clearest wars in terms of, like, goodies and baddies, where you can be like, Britain, we did the right thing. Everyone that fought in the war, we're so proud of them. But it's really, like, messed up if you're a German. So I remember Elfie, Stefan's wife, saying uh, that 2008 and the European Football Cup was one of the first times she and her friends and the people had had been able to feel proud to be German because their football team did very well and there was a nice national spirit there and they weren't scared that that national spirit would turn nationalist and yeah. crazy. Like, I've got German friends that have said a similar thing, that they've got a, like a loss of identity because you can't be like proud to be German. When actually Germans have done a lot of good stuff like in terms of like the environment and stuff and they were one of the best nations at like welcoming refugees you know like in the syrian crisis and stuff yeah yeah they like they had all like people that uh, i heard about a village that loads of people came out to this train station to just clap these refugees that arrived in this village and like just support them and and stuff and you don't hear stories like that in britain I think so. I think it's a real shame. Like people of my dad's generation, uh, so my dad's in his 60s now, had a real sense of the Germans are the baddies. Even when, you know, he was born in 1960. Mm. Like that was 15 years after the war. And by the time he was 15, that's 30 years after the war. Hey, look at my maths. Even I remember we had some German exchange students in our class and when the teacher went out, one of my classmates shouted, who on the wall? <laughs> Sorry. What? No. That is sad. I'm laughing, but that's not okay. Yeah, and I, I you know, I just, every time I've been to Germany, every one time <laughs> I've been to Germany, and... Wait, we went together. Every two times I've been to Germany. Oh no, we stayed on Prostitutstrasse though. That was a bit unusual. There was a nice baby elephant in the zoo. That's all I remember about Germany. It was cold. It was frightfully cold. We went in January for your birthday. Anyway, the times I've been to (laughs) Germany, which is more times than I remembered, and the German people I know, I've always had brilliant experiences. I've always... Oh, yeah, I live with Germans for a couple of months and they're the nicest people. And, like, you know, who are we with Boris Womblehead to judge <laughs> Angela Merkel and her country who, like you just said, have been excellent during the refugee crisis. They've 
done a lot better than we have during coronavirus. That went a bit off topic, didn't it? What are we What are we talking about? We love Germans. I love every kind of German. I just want to hug all of them, but I can't. Because it's a pandemic. Yeah, and, and it would just take a long time. Yeah. There's, here's a question for you. See if you can answer this. Write in for us. How long would it take me to hug every German in the world if it was five seconds a hug and I went 24-7? Somebody do the maths on that and write in. Are you imagining not travelling from city to city? They're just they came up. to me. Okay. They lined up every five seconds, new hug, new German. But new new Germans would be being born all the time. Is five seconds a hug so maybe quick enough? Because maybe a new German is being born every five seconds. I don't know. I like to imagine if we had millions of listeners, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that would that would really provoke after debate. If you hugged every German, they'd finally feel like free from this kind of awkward war thing. No, they'd I think like, they'd be oh, like... A hug from Dan Jones. So that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> so that was I'm going to send this podcast to your German friend. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll send it to mine. Okay. Helena, hi. Hey. Um, how unusual that English slash Frenchman wanted to give everyone in Germany <laughs> a hug. <laughs> and she did. I sincerely <laughs> apologise to all of Germany for not hugging you all and for my terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> There were some uh, unusual accents in the film. I don't know if you uh, how you felt about. I don't know accent what time. a good German accent is, though. So. Well, you don't. You're not a very good friend to Helena, then, are you? Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, there was a, a mixture of accents. There was a funny. I've got a few. Um, I think I've got a, a line I wrote down that I quite liked from uh, Rebel Wilson. I think is she Australian? I thought she was American. She's a person. I don't know. She could be. And um, she uh, she tucks a grenade in the back of a boy's trousers. Goes, go on, go and run towards the other side and give them a big hug. <laughs> Which is is um, you know funny, I guess. Okay, I've got a technical question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you say Nazi or Nazi? I think I say Nazi. Okay. The Nazis. Then why do yeah. you laugh at me when I say Yahtzee? Because <laughs> that's wrong. As in the game. The game Yahtzee. Yeah, I say everything the normal, the northern way. Uh, apart from Yahtzee, because it's such an uncommon word that I don't say very much that I think I've just got that off my parents and not been kind of corrected on it because I don't say it very often. But you always laugh at me for saying Yahtzee. Because it's funny. But actually, I think if you say Nazi, you should say Yahtzee. Well, no, I disagree. Because Nazi is from a different uh, language. So, just in the same way that I'd say Porsche instead of Porsche. Or Renault instead of Renault. Oh, I thought you were saying Grenoble then. (laughs) Grenoble. (laughs) (laughs) I would say Nazi. Because I believe that is the German pronunciation. It might not be. They, uh, Someone could correct me. Do you know what word you say wrong? <laughs> I should have known this was coming. Baby me- bell. It's not, baby bell. Do not. Do not, <laughs> do not mess with the bell. Oh. <laughs> he just farted. I hope everyone heard that. <laughs> I hope uh, one of us is in that It's not at all. <laughs> um, don't mess with the bell. Baby bell is... Baby bell. <laughs> <laughs> is that even a French cheese? Yeah, otherwise everyone in the world would call it Baby Bell, or however <laughs> you is, you say it wrong. <laughs> I did want to talk about Elsa, mm-hmm. the girl. So we watched Harry Potter was our last film, and I thought, I don't know if I mentioned it in the recording there, but Alfonso Cuaron makes it a little bit horror-y in the Harry Potter film. And just when Jojo first finds Elsa, he, he sees a scratch on the floor from where the door in the wall opens and he finds her, it is a little bit like a... There's a little micro-minute of... Of horror film. Of horror film. Where it's just... He's got a little torch, and he's just, like, shining it around, and then you just see these, like, naked feet. Naked feet, and then her face, and then he runs away. Yeah, and she, that is creepy. She walks her fingers down the banister in a really yeah, impressive way, and sort of appears behind him. I thought that was really well done. I think the lady who acts as Elsa, Thomasin Mackenzie, something like yeah. that. Yeah. 
I, I apologize. She does a really great job. I feel like she's yeah. really the hero of the film. Yeah, I read a bit about the character, about her character that the director didn't want her to just be like this victim. And she did a lot of research for the role and she watched like Shinder's, Shinder's list and stuff. But then the director, who I'm just saying the director because I can't really say his name, um, he told her to watch like Mean Girls and stuff like that because she's also like a strong independent woman and they let her wear trousers which was not that normal for the time but that was sort of part of her character i i think she does a really great job because jojo's character is scared of her from the from the off like once he figures out what's going on that there's a, a jewish girl hiding in his attic he's immediately scared and she plays on that fear and she's yeah. stronger than him. She's quicker than him. She's smarter than him. She's a lot older. I don't know how old she's meant to be. Like in her like teens, something like that. Yeah. So she says when she's pretending to be Inga that she's seventeen, oh. but I think she's meant to be around that age. Okay, but it's an interesting sort of relationship between like a seventeen-year-old girl and a ten-year-old boy. Yeah. And they don't. The boy doesn't let on to his mum that he knows that she's there so she makes these threats that if he tells if he tells his mum then his mum will have to move her on and as soon as she's found they'll all be killed so they sort of keep the fact that they know about each other secret because the mum goes out to work so then it's just those two in the house together because he's recovering from this face injury thing I think it's a whole body injury. He's oh, not yeah. able to walk yeah. very well in some points of the film. So they're sort of learning about each other. Yes, so he's trying to write this book about Jews. Mm. So at one point, Sam Rockwell's Captain Glunson says, um, oh yes, if you wrote that book, that would be a bestseller, you know, if you were able to figure out how to spot them, how to spot Jews amongst normal people. Um and so there, he's writing this book and he's trying to do research on Jews by asking this Jewish girl about oh, what are you like, where did you come from? And she's just feeding, she's playing into that um, nonsense that he's been taught. She's playing into that kind of mythos that's been built up. Oh, we, we started in caves and we sleep upside down like bats and we yeah, I yeah. don't get my horns until I'm 21 and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really made me think about Jews hiding in attics and stuff makes me think how comparatively easy this lockdown is. Yeah. Like, we complain yeah. about, oh, we can't go out to a restaurant at the moment, our kids can't go to school, but we have got a whole house to be in and we are allowed outside for some things, even if it's quite restrictive. Like, imagine being squashed in a tiny space and relying on someone else to bring you scraps of food and like trying to be silent not all having the time daylight and yeah like imagine trying to learn anything as a kid in those conditions it makes me think i should read Anne frank's diary i think i started it once but yeah i think i've read it when i was younger and it's Anne frank is such a it seemed to be such a relentlessly positive person in her writings overall I think which just astounds me you know you talk about that you're trapped in a in a room and if you make too much noise or you give yourself away you'll be taken away and killed you know how do you stay positive imagine trying to keep little kids quiet, quiet. Like, um, imagine bit imagine our family now in that oh, I can't, situation I can't. like trying to entertain like a three-year-old and a six-year-old and trying to explain to them why we're stuck in somebody's attic like it's, it is horrendous i can't imagine turning to my six-year-old and being like if you don't stay quiet we will be killed that that would not take that well being quiet he really struggles to be quiet <sighs> it, it's and i guess this is why we were saying before this is why we need to teach this stuff and this is why films like this i think are important because they show a little of the reality 
and they show a little of the humanity and they show a little of the absurdity. Yeah. Enough for you to go away and do your own research about what actually happened. Yeah, so... Like, for example, the musical Hamilton, I watched that and I was, like, Googling bits all the way through. I know absolutely nothing about American history, so actually we can't, when we're laughing at Americans who don't know what Auschwitz is, like, we really know nothing about American history. But I learned so much from, like, Googling and stuff because I've been inspired by the musical. So maybe this... Although this is not very accurate historical, it's starting a interest. Yeah, in it, it's triggering thoughts, and it is, I think, poking fun and holes in fanaticism and uh, blindly following personality, which you know we uh, we kind of need right now at the minute. <laughs> On a lighter note, what did you think of the music? Very interesting. I mean, the way it opens, the film opens with the uh, Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, sung in German and mixing uh, sounds and footage of Beatlemania. So women screaming and, and excited with footage of Adolf Hitler speaking. I didn't realise that they'd mixed the footage. I read something like it was inspired by that but i think i read that there were some uh some shots of beatlemania that were spliced in there maybe a documentary about the beatles um and there's um the i i thought the film was good it ends with david bowie's heroes again in german um and in the middle we've got tom waits who is a personal hero of mine so i'm always going to mention him and a personal villain of mine <laughs> Uh, she always go on about him, and he just sounds like a homeless man. His voice is really like, Tom Hurts. I really hope that he hears this. <laughs> is he alive? Yeah, he's still alive. All right, we'll take him. Um, his, his song, I Don't Want to Grow Up, plays in it, which is interesting because he has very rarely given permission for his songs to be used in films or advertising. He sued um, a company that used an impersonator. Really? Yeah, yeah, and one. He used an impersonator to sing one of his songs. And, um, that is cheeky. I know that he's given permission for uh, World Going On Underground to be used in Disney's film Robots. And this is one of the few times I don't want to grow up uh, in this movie I've heard another Tom Waits song be used. Um, I've heard it was difficult for them to get the rights to like a Beatles song in German for a comedy about... Nazism, like I so can't imagine <laughs> why. A difficult pitch. But the whole thing is a difficult pitch, isn't it? Like, hey guys, uh, you said this before, but yeah, who's going to be playing Hitler? Me, the New <laughs> Zealand Polynesian Jewish man. Yeah, and Hitler's like imaginary. He also did no research on Hitler because he was like, I just want it to be for a ten-year-old's eyes, just what a ten-year-old would know about Hitler, and he also. He said, like, Hitler's not worth it or something like that. Like he, The quote I read said uh, he did no research on Hitler because Hitler is an effing C-bomb. No way. And one of the... He doesn't um, deserve research. Yeah, yeah. He's, That's he, what he, he doesn't care to research the man because he doesn't want anything about it to be accurate. He doesn't want to portray any of the l realness of him. He wore a fat suit to play Hitler. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, that said, um, one of the taglines for advertising this film was hashtag fuck you Shitler. Oh. Uh, to drop some drop some swears in there. And uh, that's a quote from the film where I think that's the bit where Jojo kicks his imaginary oh, yeah. Hitler friend out yeah. of the window. Yeah. It's like all he knew about Hitler is all I know about Hitler, which is that Hitler has only got one ball. The other. Is in the Albert Hall. His mother. Oh, I don't know the rest. That, the dirty that's... cut it <laughs> off when he was only four. Is that true? Uh, I don't believe so. That's the end of the rhyme as I know it. Every time I hear like, oh, this band or whatever, the orchestra is playing in the Albert Hall. 
that's the only <laughs> thing I know. I've never been to the Albert Hall. All all I think of is just that one of Hitler's balls <laughs> is just in like a little sort of perspex box, like on a on a plinth. And you can just go and see, and there's just a little label that says Hitler's other ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's made me laugh. Thank you. Good. Would you like some film facts? I, l- I love a film fact. The studios that were used to make some of this film were used in the war to make propaganda films. That has like a nice Nazi propaganda. That's nice, isn't it? A nice That's synchronicity happy. to it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? I don't know, but. I'm glad. Did, I, did you know, can I interrupt you with a life fact? Yes. Did you know I lived in a house that had been occupied by the Germans? In Jersey? Yes, in the Channel Islands. The Channel Islands only part of the uh, British Isles to be occupied. Well, the only part of Great Britain to be occupied during the war. My house, the house I lived in, um, had been used as a communications centre by the Nazis in the war. Just on the Croix-Lyon. Uh, in the in just outside St Peter's. Go on. Sorry, more film facts. Nazis did dress kids up as robots and make them collect metal. <laughs> There's a scene where he's like dressed as this like cardboard robot and I do this a lot in films. I'm like, who made that cardboard robot costume? I could have done that. Give me this <laughs> job. You know like with the paper mache octopus in Love Actually, I was like Yes. I could do, I could do that. Make cardboard stuff for films. I think the slight anyway. They really did that. Good. Okay. The slight problem with this is that you are based in uh, Liverpool. This film was shot in Prague. And there's no way to get cardboard between Liverpool and Prague, or me to Prague. Well, there's currently. I'd love a holiday in Prague, making a cardboard robot for a film. Getting paid. Yeah. I'm more saying that they would have used local craftspeople, local cardboard no crafters. No one, no one in the Czech Republic is capable of making a cardboard robot. Not as okay, good as I would. Okay, don't go invading. That's how it starts. Would you like to do a little short credits shout out? Yeah, sure. It's time for the credit shout out. Shout out! Shout out! That's what this podcast is all about. We big up a person with a silly job or name. Like shoe coordinator. This is bound to lead to their future fame. Bazooka Boy was played by Christian Howlings. Hello, Bazooka Boy. Hello, Bazooka Boy. There's a little fun scene. In the middle of um, in in the invasion, where the town is being claimed by the Allies powers, where two boys drop a bazooka and it fires and explodes a house. Cool. Cool. So uh, we talked about bazookas in uh, Saving Private Ryan. We did. And bazooka how bazooka, that bazooka to me is that is that gel um, that you put on your foot when you get a bazooka. There you go. So we're bringing it back. Jojo had a stunt double, and there were four stunt children. And we had an interesting little thought of, like, how do you get to be a stunt child? What irresponsible parents let their kids be stunt children? And why weren't my parents those parents? (laughs) You have to be a pretty terrible parent to be like, here, use my child for a film. Do you know how stunts work? They didn't, like, kill those kids or something. They're probably trained in gymnastics or martial arts or something, you know. I can't decide if they're the coolest parents in the world or the most irresponsible (laughs) parents in the world. Maybe both. On a slightly different note, I spotted an interesting thing in IMDb. I don't know if you've used the Internet Movie Database, IMDb as it's known, to research films ever, but they have bits of trivia and quotes and goofs, you know, errors. goof. An error, a mistake. A filmmaking mistake. And one of them that's listed as a filmmaking mistake is listed as an error in geography. And it says, When Jojo sees butterflies in his stomach, the butterflies he sees are neotropic butterflies and would not have existed in Germany. Therefore, this is an error. But 
They're stomach butterflies. Also, they're like... That is the most ridiculous ever thing to say. They're like animated cartoony butterflies. Like, just... Yeah, it's nonsense, isn't it? It uh, it just made me think. Somebody has, has seen that and gone away, and that's been one of their overriding impressions of the film. It's like, I must write about the butterflies. That guy. It's definitely a guy. People are bored in lockdown. Yeah. If he was furloughed at the beginning... <laughs> I'm not trying to make excuses for him. It, like, there's no excuse. Have a word with yourself, mate. I read that Taika Waititi was a brilliant and fun to work with uh, director. It seems like he doesn't he doesn't do a lot of some of the conventional things that directors do. He didn't storyboard the whole of the film which is where they map out in kind of cartoony pictures. We're going to see this, we're going to see this. And he wasn't too worried about um, teaching the people how to deliver lines and stuff. Yeah. He was just saying, uh, I think I read a quote where he said, as long as they can say them and it doesn't sound too much as if they're acting, he was fine with it. Yeah, he, sa- he sounds nice and chilled. Not like that guy who did Titanic. Who did Titanic? He James sounded, Cameron. He sounded like a horrible, horrible man. Like, great film, but he sounded like a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to Nazi. What other films has Tiger Waititi done? He's done Eagle vs. Shark, which we've seen. Oh, yeah. He's directed a film called Boy, which I haven't seen. Yeah, I like that film. Okay, what's it about? A boy. Okay, great. But it's not the film about, about a boy. boy. <laughs> uh, Taika Waititi has also directed Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, have you seen that one? No. And something about vampires. Mary. Oh, What We Do in the Shadows. Yes, That's I've seen that, and that was excellent. I was a big fan of that. That's a really fun film. I would recommend Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, me too. But I think I preferred What We Do in the Shadows. Um, but that's just that's uh, that's able to be a lot more free and a lot more absurd, whereas this has a has a point and a message to get across. I think, and yeah. this has some tricky steps to tread. It's one of the few films we both liked, but there are a few others, like what we mentioned, Four Lions. So I wonder if our genre, our joint genre, is like awkward tragic comedy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sort of like mockery of fanaticism. Of things you shouldn't laugh at. Well, you so you've got suicide bombers in Four Lions. You've got Nazis in yeah. I do say Nazi yeah. in uh, in um, in Jojo Rabbit. People should recommend some more films where you you mock people like that, mock the <laughs> terribles. Um, yeah, have you got any favourite quotes? Because I think there are a few good quotes in this film. I liked the one I said from... So Rebel Wilson has a little bit at the end. She sort of pops up to just utter some comic lines, I think. That seems yeah. to be her job. Um, and she has a, uh, a a duty at the end where she's just kind of arming kids and sending them out to be shot. Take this, take this gun and go and shoot anyone who doesn't look like us. Take this grenade, run over there and go and give yeah. them a hug. Like, these are... Taken out of context, they're like grim, despicable things, but they're delivered in this kind of jokey... It's meant to be both. Quite like, if I can take a slight tangent here, Frankie Boyle, underneath a lot of the jokes, especially in his more recent stand-up, there's a lot of bits where he's actually talking about important, serious topics, but he's hiding them in kind of offensive, upsetting jokes. And I think Jojo Rabbit is trying to tread that same ground, not quite as offensively. Have you got any favourite lines, my love? Yeah, I've got a few. Um, Love is the strongest thing in the world. I think you'll find metal is the strongest thing in the world, closely followed by dynamite and muscles. It's a good one. I also think it ended on a really good quote that I don't think it was said. It just came up on the screen. The the written quote, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Which I think is a great kind of 
lockdown quote. Have you got it there for us? Do you want to read it? Because I feel like you've got a better reading voice for serious quotes. Okay. Well, yes, it's from the German poet Rainer Maria Rilke. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Uh, that's beautiful. Shall we end it there? Yes. We went deep on that one, yeah, didn't we? But it is a it is a fun it's a fun film. It is yeah, it is fun. There are moments of levity and light hearted and it's worth a watch. Yep. So should we talk about next week? Next week we're gonna be watching The Grand Budapest Hotel. Yep. And that's been recommended to us. So listen out for that one. If you would like to recommend us a film, contact us on Instagram. And if you'd like to follow us, we're on Spotify. Where I wouldn't watch on all of the things. All of the things. Come find us. Thank you so much for listening. Have a lovely evening. <laughs>